Hello and welcome to Potshot. I'm Sad Alex Towels. Joining me today is Sad Alex Collings. Hi. I'm sad. Sad Sebastian Hund. Hello. Uh, and our guest today is Sad Kian. Hello, Sad Kian. Hello, I am indeed extremely sad. <laughs> yes, this is our on the whistle, or because of technical issues, roughly an hour and a half after the whistle review of the um of the football match that ended Manchester City four, Arsenal one. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. It's been a day. I'm not even sure how to really sum it up. Like there's lots of lots of things we could say. I think I think the most scathing and thing I could say that I genuinely believe is that four one probably flattered us. Seb, how are you how are you feeling? Better than I was about two and a half hours ago, if I'm honest. I've sort of used the second half of the game to uh, deal with the fact that this just happened, but the feeling, I mean, it, it's one thing to lose a game, it's one thing to be completely outclassed in every department and having that sinking feeling that what you thought was possible is impossible. Yep. This kind of... We've been... If the last few weeks have been watching our title charge stall and sputter as it trundles along the road. This game was watching it fly through the barrier and tumble down a cliff. Alex Collings, you're a very tired man, a very sad man. <laughs> yeah. What what are your thoughts? I think we'll get into the thoughts just as the pod flows. Um with what other people say but general feelings is pretty shit i won't lie it's kind of hard to have too many thoughts when the disappointment sinks in i think what i will say is that i feel like we've seen this coming for a couple weeks now and what we even spoke about it last part like there was just kind of this feeling that like something really could happen and we could have beaten them sort of thing you know what i mean not saying in the context of this game but ahead of the game like the last three times or so we've played city we've really matched them or only been outmatched because of a tactical change. And I think we've been speaking about a lot of the issues. Um, and yeah, it's just sad that they didn't really come to the fore. Like, they weren't really, like, responded to in any way. So it's really disappointing that it kind of feels like this was coming. Yeah. Yeah, I think what, what, what goes into it is just the feeling that we knew the problems that were going to occur... And then watching them occur, knowing there could have been at least some way of trying to mitigate those things that we all knew were going to pose us problems. Right? Yeah, it's annoying because obviously if we can see them on Tets, I can see them very clearly. But yeah, we'll definitely get into that. I think that was maybe my biggest frustration with the last couple of weeks, not just not just today. <clears throat> Kian. Are you any? Do you have any rays of hope currently within your body? Not really. I think the worst thing that can be said about the game is that it felt almost like how we used to play against big teams when it would just feel a bit hopeless and like we just had no response. I think that's the mm. most depressing part of it really is that we just really didn't seem to react to anything or have any way to respond to what they're doing to us. Um, we're still a good team, but... No, it doesn't feel like that right now, unfortunately. No, it really doesn't. I mean, 
You mentioned, Alex and Seb, how we've been talking about a lot of things that have been issues over the last few weeks, uh, and we saw them bear fruit in this game. And I think the first goal... The first goal is the least happy I've ever been to be 100% correct. We saw almost exactly play out what we were talking about in last week's podcast with Lorcan. We saw us doing a man-to-man press uh, and trying to stop City from playing out for the back. But so we, So Chick, we predicted that. And then they whacked the ball up to Haaland instead of trying to... Whacked the ball up to Haaland to bypass the press, who competed physically with Rob Holding, who we said we'd put up against Haaland in, uh, physically, uh, and beat Holding in the air, uh, to knock the ball down to Kevin De Bruyne, who was then running at Gabriel, who we said in the last few weeks does not like being run at, does not like defending while running towards his own goal. And then De Bruyne scores, yeah, we talked about how we'd be playing this. We could play this high line. How we play could play this man-to-man press, uh, and we talked about how it could fall to bits. And then we saw pretty much exactly how we said it could fall to bits happen right in front of our eyes. <sighs> That's painful. So, yeah, I mean, you're right. Like. Almost everything we've spoken about last week and over the last few weeks has has borne fruit in this game. Um, but for me, it didn't really just start with the goal, right? Like, there was a palpable unease and nervousness running through the team from the minute the game kicked off. Like, Thomas Partey gave away a penalty that just wasn't called 90 seconds into the game. We were losing pass, losing the ball through simple passes and just letting them come on to us really early on. And then just, yeah, the, the things that were almost obvious to see and the reason why we were saying that as much as Rob Holding is a good player, we, there, there just should not be a circumstance where we have any way of working around it, not having him there. And then having him there, just a ripple effect of that. Yeah. I think it's important to say at this point that at least I think Rob Holding didn't have that bad of a game. Like, he, in and of himself, played fine. Like, within the abilities that we know Rob Holding can show. The yeah, issue, that, as I don't talk, actually yeah. think that's much of a problem. I think yeah. he was just put in situations where we know he's not comfortable. Like in the first goal, he does the Rob Holding thing. He does not want Haaland to run off of him. And he just does not give him any yards and just pulls close to him and pulls him in and goes for physical contact and then gets turned as a result. It's the same thing that happened last year at Tottenham when he was up against uh, Son. And it's the same thing that always happens to him if he comes up against a dangerous forward. And it's it's not that him alone and his action alone did cause us to break down. It's that his involvement and the unease that knowing that he could get in those situations has a ripple effect mentally as much as tactically on the rest of the team cause, 
causes through the team, right? Yeah, precisely. Rob Holding, having a fine Rob Holding game makes the whole team a lot worse due to a myriad of reasons that we've talked about a lot. Alex? Yeah, I mean, I don't think, like, when you speak about whether Rob Holding had a fine game, or I think he, he had a game we know he has within his capacities, but that doesn't mean it was a good game. He's just not good enough for the squad anymore. And it's basically like it's that sort of weak link theory, like our defense really does become as weak as its weakest link, right? And it's also, it's obviously sad because we're also comparing him against Saliba, who brings a lot to the team that we don't have otherwise in the defense, the ability to sweep. The judgment on when to step and when not, which is actually something Rob Holding really does struggle with in those moments. And that's why they managed to spin us behind a, a couple of times. Um, and then also, I think, he had some nice last-ditch stuff, but one of the things about defending is actually preventing those things, those chances arising in the first place. But ultimately, yeah, I think it's fine. Like, this shouldn't come down on Rob Holding at all. He obviously scored. Um, but but the, the problem is not Rob Holding. It's the problem is that we didn't do anything about having Rob Holding there. Like, that's, that's my biggest frustration. It's not with Rob Holding. We know what he is. I also don't, I don't buy these arguments that he shouldn't be anywhere near the team or like we shouldn't have him as our backup, like our, what our fourth choice center back in a way. Like, you know, there's only so much turnover you can do. I think it's perfectly reasonable. I think he's a reasonable squad member, but the problem is that we saw these issues happening. We knew it was going to be an even bigger issue versus city. At least that's how I felt. And that Arteta as the manager tried, did nothing to try to change it. So that's, that's where my frustration comes from. I don't think Holding had a good game. I think guys like Gabriel and Ben White look worse because they have to do more to kind of make up for what Holding can't do. So when you say that he's maybe not the worst, like didn't look the worst out of the defense, kind of agree. But I think the fact that he was there is the reason others looked worse. But the issue isn't Rob Holding. It's that we didn't make any changes to kind of account for him and maybe not play him in this game, which I wouldn't have done personally. But yeah. Yeah, we talked about that. Last yeah, week. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, like we, we, we spoke about it last week that we currently have this sort of number one option, number two option in every position. And the problem isn't that we don't have the number one option, it's that our number two option in that specific position is the one that is probably least capable of fulfilling the functions that the number one option has in that role. And that just creates ripple effects because then his responsibilities have to be shared through other people, which then diminishes their role and so on and so on. So I, I agree with you, Seb. Uh, and that's why I actually disagree with you, Alex, when you say that Rob's... So in isolation, I think Rob Holding is good enough as a footballer to be a squad player in this Arsenal side. The problem is he's not good enough at William Saliba things to be a backup William Saliba. Because then, like, he doesn't provide that covering capability that we need. We don't have another covering centre-back other than Saliba. Okay, but is that not kind of my point, though? Is the fact that we can see he wasn't fulfilling that role. I mean, I also don't think he is... Mm. I was saying it's fine that he is that fourth-choice centre-back, but we saw that it wasn't going to work. I think because it wasn't working, it's not fine that he's our fourth-choice centre-back. Because we need someone as a backup Saliba who can do yeah. covering obviously, Saliba. Obviously. <laughs> but but the thing is though is that that sort of squad cycle changing doesn't all no, yeah. it's all not all gonna happen at once. In a way we're ahead uh, of our uh, cycle. Of course, so I'm saying yeah. the fact that he's there, it's not Rob Holding's fault that he's the choice there. It's the problem that Arteta 
we've seen this problem that Holding can't really fulfill the needs. I also do think he's just not good enough to be a title-challenging centre-back, even to step mm. in. Like City have like guys like Laporte and Diaz stepping in, who are definitely good enough, right? Um, but that's not his fault. I think the problem is with the coach not recognising that he wasn't fulfilling these things. It was actually making the whole defence worse. And nothing was being changed about it. That's my that's my issue. Uh, Can I ask a question here? Sorry, just real quick. Uh, do you, do you mind if I go to Kian because he hasn't spoken in like five minutes? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Kian, what do you make of Holding's performance today, and what <clears throat> if you? Do you have any alternate solutions? We talked a lot about our alternate solutions for having holding holding in the back line. Do you have any alternate solutions for holding, or do you think that playing him there is the best we can do? Um, I thought it was fine. Like you said, I kind of agree with you on that. I think, I think people try to make out that he's a championship centre back. I don't think that at all. I think he could play for plenty of teams. Um, and I think it's fine to have a guy like that in your squad. But like you said, you have to adapt. There's no point trying to do like for like. It's like when we play Tierney at left back and try to get him to come in field like Zinchenko does he's just not good at it it's not what he's good at so it's kind of pointless trying to expect him to to fill the same role Um, I still think he probably is the best person to still be playing I think on balance but I'd probably change midfield I'd play Jorginho beside party I think just because without Saliba there's no link from the defence to the midfield centrally um, party stays too high I think I think you guys were saying that last week I think Georgina would kind of step back a bit fill up that gap um, interesting so would that be would that, would that be a like more traditional double pivot Jorginho Partey and then Erdegaard ahead at the 10 okay. uh, so like what we did uh, when Jorginho came on for Xhaka then or yeah. kind of yeah because I thought he was quite active actually as well when he came on um, mm-hmm. I know a lot of teams don't really play that style anymore, but I think whatever we're doing now isn't going to work. I think if you're going to play holding, I think you have to change that midfield. Um, I'm I'm fine with the with the other option of benching holding, but if you're going to keep mm. him in, I think something else has to change further up. Yeah, I think while we're talking about that, I did think the um, sub bringing Jorginho on for Xhaka was quite interesting, especially in the context of what we talked about last week, where. We struggled where bringing off Xhaka and putting on a Fabio Vieira left our eights too high and then we didn't have that protection. So Arteta's gone the other way today, put in Jorginho, as you said, provided that protection, perhaps not got quite so much going forward. Um, Seb, do you have... How did you think it worked out for us? Do you think it worked well? Do you think it worked badly? The holding thing? Uh, No, uh, Jorginho in for Xhaka. Uh... I mean, it's hard to say because game stayed, right? Like, I thought it was weird that we did that sub t- so Jorginho could basically fulfill Jaka functions at 3-0 down. I, yeah, but that's just down to, like, are you going to push for it? Are you not? Ultimately, it ended up being fine because City retreated more and we were just able to hold the ball more and didn't couldn't really do much with it because they were consolidated in their block um to just come back to holding for a second i was just going to throw a question in the room and that is did we make the right sort of 
strategic call because in theory we have one central defender that is able to fulfill Saliba's role to a higher degree than holding and that's Ben White and through letting Cedric go in the January window we left ourselves short in that we are basically binding Ben White to right back completely now I know Cedric isn't an optimal solution for anything, but he did create better um, dynamics within the team with exchanging with uh, Bukayo Saka and uh, Martin Odegaard when he came into the team in sort of January, February of last year. So we had basically two guys who were not really fulfilling their roles but were good squad guys and good people to have about the room. That was the argument for both of them as having them as backups, additionally to them being footballers. Um, so I suppose I suppose some of this is down to losing Tomiyasu. I think we don't have those conversations if we have Tomiyasu. I'm fully aware of that. But am I crazy for thinking that we might have given ourselves a little more room had we kept Cedric and maybe dropped holding out of the squad or just kept both? So I have a soft spot for like Cedric and I think it's just the sort of um, contrarian part of me because a lot of people hated him and I thought he wasn't as shit as people thought he was. I think he's actually quite a relatively intelligent player, albeit limited in other ways. But I remember doing last season when people were talking about how bad our defence was and then... I actually looked at it when we had at least three of our starting four. So that was back then. It was Tierney, Gabriel, um, White, White, and then Tommy Yasu. And when we had at least three of them in the starting lineup, we conceded 0.5 a game, which is actually crazy good. But then when we had two of them missing, right? And it was generally the fullbacks. Yeah. So Cedric and like Nuno. Then it, was, it went up to two. Yeah. So... I would have to look at it more clearly, but I do think Cedric is just limited in many of the same ways that I think there would be similar issues rising. At the same time, maybe it gives us options in terms of controlling for certain issues. I do think Cedric is pretty would be smarter at least going forward. Maybe I think he was a bit underrated in that aspect in being able to connect with Saka and stuff like that. But I don't know. It's it's a hard one. It's a, also it's not a. It's not a nice discussion to have, like, would we be worse off with Holding or um, Cedric? I kind of think Holding is maybe a better player, at least at this point, but with a far tougher role. So maybe I would say that's why it might have been nicer to have Cedric out on the right and then um, and then White there. But at the same time, like, it's not ideal. So it, it feels like, I don't think... I don't think we would have come through this like much better, I guess, if it was Cedric on the right with, with White centre-back. So, yeah, I guess I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced. Um, and I could see it being worse because depending on who we, who we went up against, I guess. Yeah. I think you're right that I think Holding is a better player than Cedric, but I do think there is truth that I probably Cedric could maybe fulfil White's role better than Holding can fulfil Saliba's role. Um, even just the fact that the centre-backs are getting so exposed all the time and White, that was his natural position. Um, yeah, because of holding, it's just like, 
no one is doing their jobs properly now, at least with Cedric, he is a right back. Um, even though he's limited, the white role maybe doesn't have as much impact on the entire system as Saliba did. So you, you probably are right that it would probably be better, but I think it's just a thing where it, it, it can only be a hindsight thing because no one would have predicted that we would be in April and asking where Cedric is, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm completely mindful that this is A, completely hypothetical and B, full-on hindsight. Imagine I don't think any contingency of... plan we made in January had losing Saliba and Tomiyasu for the rest of the season in them. I mean, at least not that any of the any of reasonable levels of optimism slash pessimism. Like maybe the most pessimistic people could have seen this coming. But yeah, but like in normal contingency planning, you plan for if one of them is out, right? Like you don't think both of them are going to be sniped down in one single game. Hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's a dark point where you're like we've just lost the title winning thing. We're thinking about whether Cedric would have changed things. There's been a lot made this season of mentality and um, like how, and I think it's been part and parcel of the fact that we've gone behind a lot and come back a lot and we've seemed stronger on the whole in games like this that are big and that matter. But for at least to viewing, uh, to first viewing, to emotionally charged viewing, in that first half, we just seemed shit scared of them. We we did not seem to play with our usual um, pace, with our usual energy. They just seemed to... We, we seemed to let the occasion affect us in a way that we have not at all this season. Uh, so I suppose my question is, do... Do you guys subscribe to that? Do you think this was a? Do you think we were scared of City and this was our problem, or do you think that? Like, do you, do you think we tried to play our normal way but just got blown away by the better side? I don't really subscribe to it that much. I'm sure it comes into it to some extent, but I think we've been seeing the same problems in the recent games. Obviously, that can come into. But into the mentality aspect of it, maybe it's more a maturity aspect, I would say, rather than a mentality aspect. I don't think that's something that's lacking in this team. Um, yeah, I think key players have been bad. I don't, I don't think it was necessarily... Like, for example, one of the ones that we haven't spoken about is I found Odegaard's last two games quite frustrating from a, a building art, and I don't really understand it because I think he is one of the most intelligent. He's, I would say him and Saka are our two smartest players. Shaka. And I put Shaka. Shaka as well. Shaka, I'll accept. Uh, I, would, I would say that too. Um, but yeah, I just felt like, I don't know what he was trying to do with his positioning. He wasn't really coming in and dropping and recognizing problems. And that's something that I, I think we spoke about it a li- little bit on the last part that I don't understand why because... I think it's something he does recognize. Um, I know he ghosted a bit in the in the Liverpool game, but these last two games have felt like the issue is different. So I don't think it's a mentality thing. Maybe it's comes into it at some point, but I think part of it is we were just outclassed by the better team, out tacticked, I guess. Um, but but um, but also just better players targeted our weaker players, 
Pep got the tactics really right from the beginning, I thought, in this game, whereas he didn't lot in the reverse fixture. So, yeah, I don't know. I think the mentality thing is like looking at like intangibles where I actually think we've shown we have those intangibles. So I don't really I don't really buy it, but I, I do think we were overwhelmed quickly. I, I don't know why we keep conceding so much early on. Maybe uh, I'm, I'm not really sure why are we not awake enough. But yeah, I just think also key players not lacking that maturity or that that game management from the start. Guys like Party immediately trying to play like very vertically, is which is why I think and I really buy what Kian was sort of saying with like rather having Jorginho and especially for the rest of the season, he's someone who actually has the maturity. I know there was that game state aspect of it, like where he came in and said he were happy to let us play, but we've seen in other games he can slow things down. He can actually bring that control and the one thing he does is he communicates really well in terms of where he wants people to be and I think he is a very intelligent player I think we just lack a lot of that right now rather than like losing our nerve necessarily yeah what I find with him is that he just understands what is required in that role in any given situation better than any of our other pivots would right um this and I Jorginho, do think it's yeah, yeah Jorginho and I do think it, it would be uh, worthwhile just to talk about the tactical battle for a second. right? Like sit, we, we were expecting City to line up in their usual 3-2-2-3 that they've been running recently. Um, and they didn't, actually. They uh, played Kyle Walker as a sort of orthodox right back, played a kanji left back to sort of uh, deal with the 1v1 duels uh, responsibility that Ake would normally have. Um and built out instead of in their three shape, <clears throat> built out in a sort of flat four two four, baiting our press and almost going deserve like in uh baiting and then playing through the wide players into their uh dropping attackers. And we never found a solution to that. I think one because the execution was just nigh on perfect, but also because we and this is also something we've been talking about recently, is that we don't really have the best capacity to change our set approach that we approach a game with within the game according to what the opposition has changed within their game plan. Yeah, I think this has been one of our biggest issues this season, that which is that plan A is pretty good, but... Plan B, Plan C, Plan D, Plan E, F, G, all the way down. Uh, if Plan A is not working, try and do Plan A again, but better. And we're not being not able to do that. We're just doing Plan A again, but worse and worse and worse and worse. Um, Kian, what what did you make of the um, tactical setup? Uh, did you think, uh, yeah, do you, do you think we did well? At, no. I don't know. Kian, say words. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think the thing I noticed most was just in our build-up. I don't think they even pressed us really intently. I think they were just happy to let our back four pass between themselves a little bit. Um, kind of sat back. And then whenever we tried to pass it forward, I don't think we really looked like we wanted to take a risk with the ball. So it just ended up being very static side to side a lot of the time. And then eventually someone will get forced down a blind alley and kick it long. Um, like I don't think it was one of those games where Haaland is 
bombing down at someone, I think it was just slowly creep up, slowly creep up and just force us back and back. Um, there were yeah, times yeah, when we they... got the ball forward quickly and at those times I thought they looked a bit scrambled, but we were never able to do it with any sort of consistency or any sort of pattern that mm. looked like we could do it more than once. Yeah. So, yeah, I just think we just got outmatched completely, really. I think it's also worth to say that they they were excellent at cutting out any entry passes past our first line. Yeah, I think that, that speed that you mentioned, the speed of play that we normally show, uh, was really lacking today. Uh, I'd say, as you said, like maybe two or three times, like there was once in the second half where Shaka cuts it across to nobody, and then there was once in maybe maybe twice in the second half, one of which led to our goal, uh, in which we may only managed to play through them. But yeah, when you're only when you're only playing through an opposition once, maybe twice all game, and they're playing through you once every two or three minutes you've got a problem <laughs> they were just building uh baiting our press and playing through us so many times after the one nil that it was genuinely shocking that we did not concede until we ended up conceding basically solely through the merit of having aaron ramstead have a really really good day yeah like i, I was thinking coming towards the end of the second half that if we manage to win that game, like this is a 1-0, I was thinking if we manage to win this game, it is going to be the most smash and grab of smash and grabs because there were there were three, four, five heart-in-mouth moments in the first half alone before we like before it was even 2-0. I'm not going to lie though, even the fact that we all kind of felt like it was possible that we could get back into the game when they were like 3-0 up or 3-1 well, up like, that just really says how often we've actually come back this season. I even believed it, despite there being zero evidence yeah. to believe it at all. Like, we were absolutely getting, like, <clears throat> shanked and, like, left for dead. And still, I thought, okay, Reese Nelson's coming on. Like, we're still alive here. But, yeah, sadly not. I don't think we cannot rely on those juices every week. Um, but, yeah, I guess my, my main thing now is, obviously, I think, <laughs> looking at this, it feels like the title is now gone. And it's kind of sad to feel that way because basically what's happening is we've actually had an insanely good season despite these last four results. Kind of completely colour how we feel about it. But it's just going up against City. It's quite demoralising because they probably are going to win 14 games in a row just to finish off their season. In the league, I mean. Um, which is basically maybe at some point what they had to do to win the league. And that's basically what they've just gone and done. And... It sucks to be in this position. I know this isn't like particularly tactical point, but like looking at how they've done this to Liverpool in the past, where they've just gone on a run and they just stopped not winning. Like every game they just win. That's just what's happening now. And obviously we're not we're not done, right? I mean, if they do win the next two games, what they'll be four points ahead of us. With still five or whatever games to go, it's not six games for, to go for them. It's not at all like down and out, but it does feel that way and yeah not really a point beyond that but that's basically where i sit with this put title race to one side what is there for us for the last few games of the season what's a good end of the season look like now given how the last four games have gone because like 
it's now like if you're being a pessimist, we now have what, the worst round four, to come. Like, how, 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 we've played thirty four, right? We've played thirty three. Okay, uh, from a pessimism point of, from a pure pessimism point of view. We've got five dead rubbers now between now and the end of the season because I believe Champions League is confirmed. Uh, and if we're saying the title is gone, it's five dead rubbers. Uh, so what do we want to see from that? I know, but before we get into that, Seb, you want to touch on Manchester City's remaining fixtures and our remaining fixtures to see if there is any glint of hope. So what Manchester City have coming up is uh, Fulham away, uh, West Ham at home, Leeds at home, then the Real Madrid first leg, then Everton away, then Manchester City, uh, not Manchester City, Real Madrid at home, uh, Chelsea at home, Brighton away, and Brentford away. There's some games there that are theoretically difficult. For example, having Everton away between two Champions League ties isn't great. Still having to play Brighton at their stadium is a difficult game. On the other hand, our next three games are Chelsea at home, which in itself is not a very difficult game, but it's Chelsea. And there's a sort of historical thinking of them doing some damage to us. And then we go to St. James's Park and play Brighton at home. So what we can theoretically do is say, there's this media narrative about us being having bottled it or just throwing it away and whatever. And, and the media in general has, in my opinion at least, gone at us harder than they have, for example, Liverpool when they went up in the title race against Manchester City and lost out marginally. So a sort of semi-important um, motivational factor for the re- for the team could be still to not frame it as having thrown it away, but having run City close, which in and in and of itself is an incredible achievement. Like if City do end up winning their remaining games and them finishing five points above us, that is a very very respectable end to the season. I want to pose a question, maybe. Um... On the back of that is that I do agree as a season that's very good, right? Um, it's a great season getting over ninety points, especially with a team that is ahead of its where it's supposed to be in its phases or cycles, however you want to speak about it. But I also feel like the last few weeks haven't been handled well. So how do we feel about it in respect to that? Maybe Kian, what are your thoughts there? Like in terms of how we recon how we reconcile the season, I guess, from, on the one hand, yes, Arteta's made, like, a fantastically, like, working machine. I think we are greater than the sum of our parts, something that people are starting to forget. Um, And it's been an exceptional season, but at the same time, I feel like the last couple of weeks, we haven't handled things well, whether it be in-game substitutions, not changing things in between games as well. Yeah, so I think it's kind of twofold where... The season isn't over, and how annoying would it be if we lose to Chelsea and draw to Newcastle, and it turns out that City lose to Everton away or something like that, and we're like, you know, the chance was still there, and we gave up when we shouldn't have. So I think that should be the motivation for them. There's no point giving up now. Um, I think as well, 
this season deserves to be remembered as an amazing one. And it'd be such a shame now if we kept dropping points and the prevailing memory is, you know, we choked at the end or we gave up at the end or things fell apart at the end. Um, the team have done amazingly well. So I really hope for their sake almost um, that they finish out the season strong. And then there's next season to look forward to as well. And things have gone wrong. So, you know, the next five, it's about how can we get back on the horse because next season, season after season after that, same thing could happen again. So, you know, even if things don't work out this season, you know, still a very young team. So plenty to look forward to. Um, yeah, it's got to keep building. I also think it's worth finishing the season strongly just for the simple fact that four weeks ago we were like the place to be in terms of any player looking to move. And I'd really hate for us to end the season on a note where we're talked about in a relatively negative way and that maybe affects the way we are perceived not only by media and fans and whatever and just... Can't being have able to get our Mount and Rice right. thinking we're bottlers, can we? <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. But it, it's also just confirming to the fans that they are able to be proud of this season. That's the other thing, right? Like, like these last three games, four games that we've played aren't going to take away Bournemouth, aren't going to take away Liverpool at home, aren't going to take away Manchester United at home. Like, we have created incredible winning the league would make them so much better though obviously yes (laughs) but 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 but, but i think in the prism of thinking about the league title we do sort of diminish how important moments are and how important the emotions we're feeling in the moment are like i think it is worth taking a step back and just seeing how how emotionally satisfying this season has been for sure. I remember seeing, um, I think it was a tweet, um, some Liverpool fans saying like this whole seven year run only producing like one league title and one Champions League title. And that's such a shit way of looking at football. Yeah. Um, because Liverpool have had some of the most incredible football, incredible players in their history, um, incredible memories. And I think obviously the season does bring that too. So... Yeah, it's not all about that title at the end. Like, obviously, they're going to be incredible things. I mean, this has been a breakout season for guys like Martinelli. Saka really becoming a superstar. Um, us playing the best football I've seen since, like, Wenger, right? Like, early Wenger. Or maybe 2013. I, th- I enjoyed that that team a lot. 2013-14 sort of Wenger, right? But a much better team than that. Um, and a young team. at That's someone you can get behind. Lots of hail-enders. So, there's a lot of great... Stuff about the season, but I guess it's just um, there's also is that like I, I guess right now that emotional aspect that it really does feel at least to me that we didn't make the most of this last point, and I guess this is where it falls on Arteta for me. The changes that's mainly what I'm taking issue with right now because it does feel it feels avoidable. It feels some of the issues feel avoidable for me, and that's that's where the frustration lies. Or if not avoidable, that we could have been braver in trying to make changes and. Really, that's where the frustration lies. Rather than just fair enough, we weren't good enough at the end. It's, I think we can say we're not we're not better than City, but we could have beaten them to this league title. Um, yeah, if we'd just done better in certain games tactically, not even coming down on on the players, but like in terms of changes, in terms of being 
smarter about things because those do translate into you know not every game it doesn't work out but we haven't been making these changes and this actually does also go into earlier this season i remember when he was bringing on like eddie to play on the wing where it was obviously not working so that's maybe where that frustration lies for me i know pep's probably made the same mistakes but it does feel like at least within the league he's very good at making changes that actually work and recognizing things i even think in that man united game where they were struggling I think Man United still won in the end, but Pep made the right change to really put pressure on them. We haven't seen that so much from Arteta. And I guess he's also a developing manager. Maybe I'm maybe I'm being too critical or just too annoyed or frustrated with it at the moment. But yeah, that's where my frustration lies. I think to play devil's advocate for a moment here, I think if we say say we had seen these changes and we'd seen the same results then we'd be sat here saying, why has he tried to change it? Why didn't he just do the easy thing and plug in holding? Why wouldn't that why didn't we stick with what was working? Blah de blah de blah. So like I, I think I agree. I think at this point now, like we can look back with the power of hindsight and say we should have changed something two, if not three games ago, to try and fix these problems that we were all seeing but like i i think if we had made those changes and say lost not drawn some of the games that we played before the city match then we would have been having complaints of just the opposite argument okay I'm, i will say i don't think i'm doing a hindsight sort of no, argument i, I know I, you're not I, because i've sat here with you every week and heard you say mm, we should change this we should change that but but, but, I, but I obviously could be completely wrong and you know obviously i'm not I'm not a Ted at all. I'm a random guy now, sad at 1 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> after after this game. Um, but yeah, obviously you could be wrong, but that's where my frustrations lie at least. And and yeah, maybe they wouldn't have they wouldn't have led to things, but I do feel like there's a there's a lack of bravery in making these changes from Arteta. Before- but yeah, I, I, I buy your point that they could have had no impact. Yeah. Before yeah. we uh, before we round off this podcast, let's try and try and put a more functional spin functional spin on things. Try and offer solutions instead of just sitting here and saying about how sad we are. Kim, you said we've got to try and get back on that horse and finish the season strongly. Do you do you what do you think we can what do you think we can do to give ourselves the best chance of that happening? Um. I guess the Jorginho thing I mentioned earlier would be the main change I'd make. I think at this point you do have to change something, and that I think is probably the best option. I believe Partey's out for the next game. I think he picked up his fifth yellow card of the season, so I think he's actually suspended for the next game, <laughs> which which is amazing in that it forces Arteta's hand to actually play Jorginho. If I'm wrong about this, I apologise, but I'm pretty sure he did pick up his fifth yellow card in this game. Carry on. Isn't it editorially? One second. Is it in in England? Is it still after eighteen games where your fifth yellow card isn't a, an automatic suspension anymore? I have no idea, which is why I'm not sure if he's suspended next game or not. Um. <laughs> yeah. So if Party is playing with Jorginho, I think it'll allow Party to kind of focus a bit more on his strengths. Um. He's a very good ball carrier. Um, and strong in the duels I think it'll stop him from either being too high or when he comes deep 
kind of not being aware of where the presses are around him, which I think has been shown up a good bit in the last few games. Um, <clears throat> I think it allow Odegaard as well maybe a little bit more freedom to roam around. Um, I think he's kind of oscillated between taking on too much and getting caught again too high up. So I think it might help him out a little bit more. I just think, obviously it's not an ideal solution because you lose a lot from midfield. If Xhaka's not playing, you're going to lose off his runs and stuff. But if I had to choose one poison to take, I think that would be the one I'd go for. I Yeah, so I, I, I've voiced my opinion on this before on the podcast, but I think I'm taking out Partey instead of taking out Xhaka. Um, I think Jorginho's control on the ball at the base of midfield is something that we've sorely needed in these past few weeks, especially in the early games in this bad run where we've gone ahead early and needed to just keep calm, keep cool heads and maintain control of games without doing silly things. And Thomas Partey has done a lot of silly things in the last couple of weeks. So I just... I want someone at the base of Armoured Field who loses the ball less than Thomas Partey more than I want Thomas Partey's defensive contributions right now. And maybe that's just because I've been hurt over and over again by Thomas Partey losing the ball a lot recently and it's tinting tinting my glasses to anger. But if... Uh, and one Jorginho's in, I'll be moaning about his lack of lack of defensive ability. But right now... Right now, I would very much look forward to seeing Jorginho start at the base of our midfield. Um, Seb, what what changes would you make for the for for the next few? I mean, I've been pretty vocal about not yeah. liking. <laughs> to be fair, Thomas Partey's temperament at the six, and I do think I don't know if it's just me or, but I do think he has become noticeably weaker in defensive duels over the last few weeks. I think in this game especially it became really noticeable, but it was a theme of the last few weeks that his defensive duels have become weaker and weaker over recent weeks. So having Jorginho there just just gives you more control, which is something we're clearly lacking currently. I also think we need to find some way, any way, of playing Leandro Trossard more, because he's our best performing attacker currently and having him in the team is vital. I wouldn't put I wouldn't subscribe to the idea of having him play in uh Grand Jaka's role. We've spoken about it last week about Shaka's importance, especially when knowing when to drop back and create the second pivot, um, especially in defensive transition. But it, it, it yeah. And it's, it's just an interesting one on on Trussa. I think we spoke about it last week. I think it was Lorcan actually, or maybe you said who brought up Trussar over yeah, Gabby J potentially, and I I was like no, but I actually think now in hindsight, with the benefit of hindsight, it might have been beneficial to this game to to have Trussard from the start. Um, but I was wondering what you guys think of that because it just felt like when he had on not necessarily because we didn't really get to see Gabby J even have an offensive effect i mean really any of our forwards this game um we spoke even on the part about how the wide forwards would be so important and we didn't manage to access them at all but i felt like trossard dropping deep would have actually given us a little bit more control that maybe we did need especially with someone 
with that lack of control coming from deeper areas. So I think that is now in hindsight a change I would have potentially made. And you guys know how much I love Gabby J. So, um, so yeah, it's interesting. I don't know if I would even have him going forward starting in place of 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 Gabriel Jesus, but it is something I'm more open to now. I mean, he did, I thought he played quite well. Reese Nelson also played quite well when they came on. And part of it was being able to receive under pressure and keep the ball and yeah also have a sense of like of of knowing when to keep when to pass and having the ability to execute that was really important obviously also city was sitting off a bit more but i still think there was that element that they of what they brought being the qualities that they had versus city whereas maybe gabby j not really sure even what he was trying to do in this past game he kind of felt a little bit all over the place. Yeah, and I can't say I have too much. I, I, so this is something I've mentioned in the last couple podcasts, where, which is I, I've no, and, and I've noticed in the last few games when, Jesus, when we're not progressing the ball very well, and so Jesus is not, getting a lot of touches, in attacking zones, he dropped back more and more and more to try and get involved in the game. Mm. And that I think is one of, I, I I think. When it works, we all love it, and we're all like, "Oh my God, Gabby Jesus had his amazing rotations," but when it's not working, we it's. When it's not working, we're trying to counter attack, and our strikers standing in the left back spot. And, it, and it's. I mean- frustrating uh and we love him for it and we hate him for it uh kian yeah there was one moment when zinchenko went down the left after a one two with him and he tried to go down the left and gabby just stood back and i was like no please just go with him (laughs) the two men on him lost the ball i was like please please just go with him like you said when it's working it's like this guy is the best player ever but yeah, sometimes it can just feel a bit toothless when he's not where you'd want your striker to be. Yeah. I always think I think part of it comes, but I, I'm I'm beating a dead horse at this point. Part of it also comes with the fact that we aren't managing to control territory as high. So when Gabby J is dropping, he's dropping a lot deeper. Um, and then when the ball does move quite quick, because we are quite a vertical team, especially for possession sides, then it moves too quick for him to actually be able to catch up, which is now the issue. But also in a way, there are other issues because when he's not dropping, we're really struggling to build out. So this whole side is like a bit defunct at the moment. But yeah, it, it's frustrating. It was the same in the in the previous Southampton game with how deep he was dropping. And then... Yeah, especially... Yeah, in every game. And it was the same in the West Ham <laughs> game as well. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's a symptom and a cause of us being bad, like a lot of things we've been talking about recently. Um, uh, just just uh, one last thing on this. Um, like, when Trossard and, jo- uh, and Jesus play in, in that role, they do do similar things. They both drop back, but they drop back in different ways, right? Like, Jesus is a very, very intuitive player who f- thinks about, I want to be here currently to do this and this and that. And, and Trossard is a more sort of control dropper of being very how do you say uh, very sort of concise with when he drops and retains well and controls through his sort of efficiency when dropping 
while Jesus is a more get on the ball, dribble, find little things to combine with and go from there. And I, I suppose it's it's more about game state of which of these two sort of ways of doing it you want to have in your team. And I, I wish we would do more game to game horses for courses rotating between different profiles in the same role. I, I do think we don't do that enough and we keep sticking with the same people if they're sort of doing their thing well. Like there 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 are games where we could use a Vieira more than we could a, an Erdogan, which is a bad example because he's our captain, but or having a Trossard there except uh, instead of a Jesus or having a, a Jorginho there instead of a Thomas Partey and so on and so on. And or even Tierney instead of Zinchenko. Exactly. That's the other example yeah. I wanted to say. Um, yeah, so th- that that's another area where we could definitely improve. I just think currently we are just... I think we should take advantage of the fact that Trossard is currently performing at a really, really high level and is probably along with Saka, our best-performing attacker at the moment. Right, well, then, that's the solution. Uh, Jorginho in, Trossard in, and then we'll smack Chelsea and smack Newcastle next week. But if you want to hear more about that, then you can tune into our next episode on Monday. I will not be here, and Alex Collins will not be here. It will be our first-ever episode with Seb on his own, he's been left with two guests to keep care of, and I'm sure he'll do an excellent job, so make sure you keep an ear out for that. Uh, no, the Seb show, indeed. Uh, no, it, it, It's a good book. one to do, considering um, we've we've done a whole Jugo Bonito podcast on the uh, chaos that is Chelsea, and, uh, <laughs> now I get to preview them. And also, you don't have to have us holding oh, you yeah. back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no trivia book this week because I'm on holiday and I didn't bring it with me because I'm not going to sit there on my holiday doing Arsenal trivia questions. That's what I do in the podcast. So no trivia book questions. Let's, uh, let's get straight into the outro. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you to Kean for coming on. If okay. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you to Kean for coming on. If people want to find more of you, where can they do so? Yeah, so just on Twitter, at Buko Jeans, so Buko, G-E-N-E-S. Awesome, we will have a link to that in the description. Thank you, as always, to Seb and Alex for joining me. Again, I've said, as always, when it's literally the third time we've had the three of us together on a podcast, I should stop doing that, but I'm not going to. Thank you to... At some point, it will be, as always. Yeah, at some point, it will be, as always. Uh, As almost always, but yeah. (laughs) Hints to future planning, we'll see. Uh, thank you to Nanad Babadika, our guest editor for this week. It's the first time we've ever had a guest editor, but as mentioned, I'm on holiday. I don't want to be sat around on holiday for six hours editing a podcast. So Nanad's going to do it for me. Thank you, Nanad. Thank you to James Blake for making our... Thank you to James Blake for making our intro and outro music. You can find his stuff on all good music platforms at JWBlake. Thank you to you very much for listening. Tune in next week for the Sebastian Hunt Show. We'll see you there. Bye.